Welcome to CME on ReachMD. This activity, entitled Perspectives for Clinical Practice, the latest advances for HER2-positive metastatic breast cancer, is provided by Prova Education and is supported by an independent educational grant from AstraZeneca and Daiichi Sankyo. Prior to beginning the activity, please be sure to review the faculty and commercial support disclosure statements, as well as the learning objectives. Welcome to Clinical Countdown. I'm Dr. Bill Gradisher, Professor of Medicine at Northwestern University in Chicago. I'm Peter Schmidt. I'm a medical oncologist at work at Barts Hospital in London. So welcome to the new reality, uh, all those who are looking on and listening to this. I think we spend most of our time these days doing virtual everything. That includes even patient interactions, which have accounted for a not insignificant fraction of the patients we see virtually. We're doing ad boards. We're doing AACR, ASCO, and everything else virtual. So this is yet another effort to convey new information and give you our impressions about breast cancer and some of the newest uh, findings. It is a challenging new world. I hope you like this format. Uh, It obviously doesn't replace the social interaction we have, but at least we try to get some of the content across to you. If you have any questions, we're always happy for us to be directly contacted after this video. So today on Clinical Countdown, we're going to be focusing on HER2 disease, the HER2 breast cancer edition. We'll be taking a look at some of the most recent data that's emerged and how that integrates with what we do as standard of care and how we're uh, trying to look at the new information as it's emerging. And we've seen a lot of activity, obviously, over the last couple of years with new drugs, new agents being incorporated, particularly into the metastatic disease setting. So without further ado, Peter, you want to get going with this? So let's take a look at the current standard of care for antibody drug conjugates, or ADCs, in patients with HER2-positive metastatic breast cancer. Peter, can you give us a rundown on some of the new agents? Yeah, thank you, Bill. I mean, HER2-positive metastatic breast cancer, until about a couple of years ago, we thought we had reached a ceiling and we had substantially improved outcome of patients over the last few years, but we couldn't possibly imagine that we could improve further on this. The standard in most parts of the world in the first-line setting is, is, is chemotherapy, toxin-based chemotherapy in combination with trastuzumab and pertuzumab. That's the second-line standard, again, in most parts of the world. The first antibody drug conjugate was established with, with, with tdm one In the third-line setting, until recently, it, we, we had, in some parts of the world, chemotherapy plus other HER2-targeted therapies, in, in particular more lines of trastuzumab, possibly lapachilib. But in other parts, for example, in the UK, a third-line to targeted therapy is currently not reimbursed. And what we've recently seen is the emergence of, of, of several new, very promising drugs. Two of them got recently uh, approved in, in the US. One of them, a new antibody drug conjugate, trastuzumab uh, deruxtitan, which has shown substantial activity in patients as a third line and subsequent line settings. Patients who have pretreatment with TDM1, so another antibody drug conjugate, so are responsible of around 60% with a progression-free survival of around 16 months, which is substantial compared to what we have seen in this setting before. It's almost what we have seen in the first-line setting. Equally, we have another interesting drug here, recently approved, tucatinib, another tyrosine kinase inhibitor, which is given in combination with capecitabine chemotherapy and and, and trastuzumab, and has shown a substantial improvement in progression-free survival in in patients compared to capecitabine and and trastuzumab in the third-line setting. 
with specific high activity in patients with brain metastasis. So our armamentarium is, is, is increasingly rapidly. We have new highly active substances and we will see, in my opinion, how these are moving through the lines, possibly into earlier lines as, as we move forward. Yeah, and I, I would agree with what Peter said. I don't have anything to really rebut. I would just amplify the notion that, you know, we, we thought or were thinking that as a community we had eliminated or were coming on the cusp of eliminating HER2-positive breast cancer as a recurrent problem. But we found that even with longer follow-up, of the adjuvant trials that, you know, a significant fraction of patients as you go off farther are developing metastatic disease, which really speaks to the issue of continuing to identify more effective therapies in the metastatic disease setting. And what Peter just mentioned, the inevitable uh, sequence of drug development would lead one to think about some of these drugs in the adjuvant or post-neoadjuvant setting. So we're going to continue to need new drugs. And I think both Tucatinib and trastuzumab deruxtecan are two drugs that have really moved the field forward. And uh, I know we'll talk about it, but these, I think, are very active drugs that are doing good things for patients. So, Bill, considering some of the latest data we, we, we saw recently at Esmo Breast, we saw at San Antonio, and, and, and most recently at the Virtual ASCO meeting, those new data on, on, on ADCs, but also new data on tucatinib, how do you think we will incorporate these treatments into our everyday practice? Yeah, so I think that uh, certainly in the States, we have these drugs now available. And certainly trastuzumab deruxtecan was the one that appeared first in terms of being available to us and to our patients. So we probably had a little bit of lead time in using that drug, even you know, for many of us who had tucatinib on clinical trials. So trastuzumab deruxtecan in the patients we've used, we've tended to use it, you know, beyond the typical trastuzumab, pertuzumab, taxane regimen. Patients go on and after they've had two or more lines of therapy. And to date, again, the, end, the number of patients we've treated is still modest. We've seen very good activity. Tucatinib, as demonstrated in the HER2-CLIMB trial, which was a randomized trial, uh, clearly demonstrated improvement in outcome. And what was most striking about that data set was what was seen in patients with brain metastases. And although the data set with trastuzumab deruxtecan included patients with brain mets, they were stable brain mets, whereas the tucatinib trial included patients who had already progressed or they could have progressed. Uh, so it's a somewhat more generous inclusion of patients with brain mets. And what was most striking, again, in the HER2-CLIMB trial is the activity in those patients with brain mets who received tucatinib, showing that there was an improvement in outcome in terms of PFS as well as OS, even in those with brain mets. So in my own mind, um, we've certainly considered tucatinib uh, treatment of choice in the HER2-CLIMB regimen, particularly for those with uh, brain metastases. I think that these are two active drugs Trastuzumab deruxtecan is a little bit more attractive in one sense. It's a single drug as opposed to three drugs in the HER2-CLIMB regimen. But then, of course, there are potential side effects, which we'll talk about. Now, the development program is ongoing, as we're all aware of. And at the moment, in, in, at least in the U.S., ESA-201 is licensed in, in, in a setting after TDM-1, what I would call the third-line setting. But there are two phase three trials ongoing at Destiny. O2 on Destiny Breast O3, which will see, first of all, in a randomized setting, 
whether this uh, whether similar impressive results can be obtained post TDM1, but also then an earlier line head-to-head uh, -head comparison with TDM1, which I think will be very interesting to see. So let's move on. I, I know that in my response earlier, I touched a little bit on this, but I, I'd like to get Peter's idea of how he would use these two drugs and how he would um, sort of characterize the type of patients where he might use either the regimen for the HER2 climb trial, Ticatinib, or uh, Trastuzumab Durexatecan from the DESTINY trial, if there are certain characteristics that would lead him to use one over the other. I'd like to go to, to an interesting area, and that's for me around HER2 expression. And, and one of the things I'm, I, I'm really intrigued with is, is the high activity we have seen in the, in the early results with ESA201 in patients who don't meet the classical criteria of HER2 overexpression. And so a group of patients we are classifying as HER2 low, which means IHC criteria 1 plus or 2 plus. And I think this is possibly down to these, this bystander effect. And, and I think that has obviously implication in, in possibly how we define HER2 positive breast cancer, how we define patient groups going forward if those data uh, get confirmed in their ongoing trials. But I think it also has in clinical practice has, has relevance for patients who have HER2 positive disease in our current classification, but who may have heterogeneous disease. And we're sometimes anxious about patients. If a patient may have two or three biopsies and two are HER2 positive, one may be HER2 negative. That is a group of patients where I now much more confidently use DSA 201, for example, compared to other ADCs, because we know we are likely to see in good activity in patients who have lower or possibly heterogeneous HER2 expression. Yes, and I, I would uh, again agree with what Peter said, particularly when we think about patients who get neoadjuvant therapy. And I think that was a little bit what he was alluding to, uh, data from Metzger and other people who have looked at this question. And we've all seen this in clinical practice that we treat patients neoadjuvantly, they go to surgery and suddenly they're HER2 negative. Well, does that mean that we eradicated that clone or we're just not picking up low expression of HER2? And this may, as he said, afford us an opportunity to use a drug that's going to have an effect in that setting, still using HER2-directed therapy. But I think the other issue is it may more broadly just open up another slice of breast cancer, allow us to categorize patients into another category that are HER2 low and rather than simply give them chemotherapy, we would have an option that could be more attractive and also be more effective. So I think that's an area that some of the trials that are ongoing now will hopefully address and will determine whether or not this becomes an area that we want to uh, incorporate into our thinking with respect to HER2-positive disease. Now we're moving on to a section that's meant to be pithy and short, I guess 30 seconds, a lightning rundown, where we're going to go from topic to topic and have to say what we think in a very brief period of time. So I'll start with you, Peter. And you alluded to already the fact that some of these drugs have adverse events, and you were mentioning the expected, or not expected, but the the findings from the destiny trial that suggested trastuzumab durexatecan had a risk of interstitial lung disease. And if you could, in a pithy way, elaborate on that very quickly. 
Yeah, it's, it's, it's a really important point, and it's, it's probably the one point we need clarification on this drug and, and, and need a little bit more experience. Interstitial lung disease is, is a term our, our, our lung colleagues use very commonly. For breast cancer doctors, it's a little bit unusual, and we tend to use the simple term pneumonitis very often. And pneumonitis is something we see with many drugs. But what was, what was evident in, in the early study with DSA-201 is that the pneumonitis or ILD risk seems to be higher compared to what has been reported with other drugs. One of the um, areas that I was asked to comment on was really the risk of cardiotoxicity uh, with these agents or more globally, the HER2-directed therapies. And I think since trastuzumab was first introduced, it's sort of been ingrained in all oncologists that we have to be monitoring for cardiac toxicity, recognizing that it's still relatively infrequent, but that also holds true for some of the newer drugs as well, including trastuzumab directs and even within the context of the HER2 climb trial where trastuzumab is still part of the regimen. So the next question, which goes to you, Peter, is really just a quick comment without going into the details about the trials, but some of the other drugs that are in development, and we're in a, a sort of horn of plenty here with drugs that are active in the HER2 space, and there are several that are still in development, a few of which I'd ask you to comment on if you could. Thank you, Bill. There's a number of new treatment options, obviously, that are coming through. We thought we wouldn't have more effective treatments in her positive breast cancer. Now we have a whole range of new drugs beyond to cut in it, beyond DSA-201, which show uh, early promise. If you look at new ADCs, CYP985, ARC788, for example, both of those drugs have shown promising objective responses in her positive disease in the, in the phase one studies. Interestingly enough, with CYP985, we've also seen encouraging high response rates in patients with HER2 low disease. There are other ADCs coming through, for example, MEDI4276 or XMT 1522, where it's a little bit too early to see. So thanks, Peter. I think we're sort of ending the time we had to hold this discussion. And I would just add a couple of comments, sort of my overall impression of the data that's emerging. Obviously, we've had a continued advance in HER2-directed therapy over the last two decades. And we find that with each incremental improvement, we're decreasing the number of patients that recur who have early stage disease. But of those that do develop metastatic disease, we have an increasing number of options available to patients. And one of the continued unmet needs, even though we've made progress, is the observation that 50% of patients who have HER2-positive disease in the metastatic setting are going to have brain mets. So now we have some evidence that some of the therapies that are new are actually affecting the outcome of those patients, which is encouraging. So I think the future is bright with respect to these drugs and some of the other ones that are in development, and we'll look forward to sharing those results in the future. Peter? Yes, Bill, I would totally agree, and, and, and I think the, 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 the introduction of two highly effective new drugs in the treatment of metastatic breast cancer clearly have a, have a substantial and meaningful benefit for patients. But we also change completely treatment sequences as we establish them over the last 10 years, and, 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 and that will come with, with, with great advantages, opportunities, but also challenges. It also opens up a new area in early breast cancer. If you look at the tdm data we saw there a couple of years ago, where we improved the hazard ratio to 0.5, 
in a setting post-neoadjuvant therapy. If you can imagine how DSA-201 may possibly function in such a setting, looking at the activity we have seen in the metastatic setting, I think we will hopefully get in closer to cure with the introduction of those very effective treatment we have now established in the metastatic setting, possibly over time in earlier disease lines and metastatic disease, but also possibly in early breast cancer. Great. Well, that's it. We're out of time. So on behalf of Peter and myself, I want to thank you for joining us and we look forward to speaking to you again in the future. Thank you very much. You have been listening to CME on ReachMD. This activity is provided by Prova Education and is supported by an independent educational grant from AstraZeneca and Daiichi Sankyo. To receive your free CME credit or to download this activity, go to reachmd.com slash Prova. Thank you for listening.